minutes goes by so very, very, very quickly, does it not? I know if you're probably listening later in the morning or later in the day or another day, then uh, maybe uh, it seems like it goes on forever. But it's a great song to plug into your mind. It's a great song to know. It's a great song to kind of start your day out, to think about walking in the light and being in the light as he is in the light, to, to be what God has called us to be. So, you know, no apologies there. It's a great song. It does give people who are joining us live uh, the opportunity uh, to, to get logged in and say good morning here to uh, one another during the live portion of this. But if you're listening a little bit later on, we're still glad to have you listening as we are working our way through the book of Ephesians. We are in the first chapter. We've been camped right here in the first chapter now for several days because it is loaded. I mean, it is loaded, absolutely loaded with so very, very, very much uh, 
And, uh, you know, I, I had people commenting and, and uh, messaging me after the broadcast yesterday, wanting some more insight and some more information and whatnot, and glad to give that certainly. Uh, today is loaded up, and we're, we're continuing with the, this idea of uh, the great doctrines of the faith. Uh, and ye- yesterday, we looked at something called TULIP. We looked at uh, the, the whole issue of predestination, free will, you know, uh, and I concluded for you yesterday that th- there's a, a mysterious harmony between the sovereignty of God and his His choosing, and yet the, the free will of man that God has given to man, uh, and there's a tension in those things, and, and I, I don't think we can exclude either one uh, and do the, the do the scriptures justice. We need to maintain both, although always leaning in my estimation, at least as I look at the scriptures, uh, leaning into the sovereignty of God, that, that God will do what God will do. And we can trust him in the midst of what he does. And uh, that that is our calling. Today, we, we move on out of that. We spent about two days considering the words predestination, choice, uh, choosing, um, election, uh, and now we're going to move on into some other uh, other great uh, doctrinal themes that we find here in, in the first chapter. Within the first 14 verses, it is loaded with some themes, uh, and this is not in, uh, in any way meant to be exhaustive teaching, uh, more introductory teaching to help us think about some fantastic things that God has done for us. So let me get us into the text. Uh, I'm going to, again, just read several of the verses. Some of them we've already covered earlier, uh, but just as reminders, as things to reinforce. And, and again, I encourage you that there are some passages here that I think are passages every Christian just needs to know. The There are passages that you should just underline and circle and underscore perhaps right on a on a three by five card or if you're getting older maybe a four by six card or even older maybe a whole sheet of paper uh large print giant print i use giant print just for the record um and post it somewhere to help you memorize these verses ephesians 1 3 is one of those verses. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. If that doesn't just get you going in your day, if that doesn't just keep you going in your life, I don't know what will. I mean, praising God, God who is our Father. Uh, praising our Lord Jesus. So we've got God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus, who has blessed us. Say this with me this morning. I'm blessed. Just go ahead, out loud, say it. I'm blessed. If somebody else is in the room, say I'm blessed. And I got to look at you and go, what? And you go, I'm just blessed today. I'm blessed by God every day. The word blessed twice in verse three, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, Again, we've covered this more extensively earlier, so I'm going to move on. But just just to get that, get you going, just to say, I am blessed by God today. Go ahead and say it. I am blessed by God today. Not just, I'm blessed. That's good, but I'm blessed by God. Wow, that's even better to think about being blessed by God. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
that great theme, great doctrinal theme of choice. Uh, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Here we have uh, in verse 5, another theme that we want to pick up on. We're going to move on again from the, the predestined aspect, but look at the word adopted in verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted. I mean, adopted means adopted. Uh, if you think about being parentless, if you think about being an orphan, uh, this word very much means the the whole concept of God taking you from your orphan state and bringing you into his family. And, and for us to think about and, and for you to ask yourself the question, am I a part of the family of God? I mean, there's, there's a great old song that some of us know. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Been uh born of the spirit and washed in his blood joint heirs with Jesus as I travel this sod I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God you're you are made a part of the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ now you I really want to clarify something uh you might be a participant in a church uh but if if you um haven't trusted in Christ, if you haven't entrusted your eternal salvation to Jesus Christ, then you're really not a part of the family of God. And I'm going to give you a verse to, to show you that, and, 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 I, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't trusted in Christ in that way, to to entrust yourself to, to Jesus Christ by faith. It is not our works that gets us to heaven. It is not our church attendance that gets us to heaven. It is not our philanthropic pursuits that gets us to heaven. It is an altruism, compassion that gets us to heaven. It is faith that gets us to heaven. And, and for, for you to be adopted as a child of God, that adoption is actuated through faith. God does the work, but but our part on our on our end is to say yes. I know that I have trusted in Christ as my Savior, and I know because of that I'm a part of the family of God. Here is a verse, John chapter one, uh, verses twelve and thirteen. Particularly, verse thirteen makes this very clear to uh, to us. Um. Uh, Here we go, says this, verse 11 says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His very own people rejected him. Okay, that that's his people rejecting him. And so the gospel then goes out to the entire rest of the world. But verse 12 says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Uh, and again, this is a verse that, that I would mark. This is a verse that I would know. This is a verse, if, if you keep a, uh, a list of verses in the, in the front or the back of your Bible, uh, this is one of those verses that would make the list. This is a great, simple, one-verse evangelism verse that you can use. 
uh, yet to all who received him. The simple question is, have you received Jesus? I mean, according to what this passage says. Now, some will say, well, it doesn't say in the Bible anywhere received Jesus. Well, actually, it says it right here. Yet to all received him, and, and we could spend time parsing out what that word means, but the idea of inviting Jesus to all who invited him, to all who who said, I, I, I will be about his way, I will be about his character, I will be about his priorities, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, there is something implied in this verse, and what is implied is uh, that for those who have not received Christ, they they do not have the right to become children of God. Now, now this is something that I know causes some people to struggle, uh, but I'll say it nonetheless. Uh, people will go around saying, but we're all God's children. Well, th- there is a measure of truth in that, in that we are all made in the image of God. In that sense, we are all humankind. We are all human beings. We are all brothers and sisters in the human flesh in that way. And yet, when it comes to the family of God, we are not all children of God. This verse implicitly says, and in fact, I would go as far as not only say implicitly, but I would say explicitly says, that the right to become children of God is reserved for those who receive Jesus and believe in his name. That's not me speaking. That is this verse right here saying that to us. Yet to all received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so there is the necessity of receiving Christ. There is the necessity of believing in his name to become a child of God. Now, uh, there are there there could be kids in the house. You've got your kids in your house, and sometimes we've had like our daughter's friends at our house, and we kind of adopt them as our own, or our son's friends, and we kind of adopt them unofficially, of course, as our children, or call them our kids. Yet when it comes right down to it, they are really not our kids. Uh, and in the same way, there are people who attend churches who we include in the family gathering. Uh, we invite to, often to to the family table, to the family functions, uh, because they're they want to be there, uh, and yet because they have not uh, believed in Jesus, they're really not a part of the family. You might feel a part of the family. I just want to encourage you: if you are a part of a church but you've not trusted in Jesus, you 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 find comfort in being around the family. Um, you, you might consider that to be your family, but in terms of an eternal perspective, uh, a, a true spiritual perspective, you're really not a part of the family until you are adopted. And that adoption is actuated. And when you trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, I don't know how to make it any more clear than that. That That is truth in the Bible. That is not just something I've conjured up that this is, we've read the verses. This is what the verses have to say to us. And so the great theme out of Ephesians chapter one and verse five is that he adopted us to be his sons through Jesus Christ. We we weren't a part of the natural line. We weren't a part of the Jewish family, uh, and yet he said, "I I I adopt you. I call you. I I 
want you to be part of my very own. To think of adoption, I mean, um, sometimes people will adopt scoundrels. Sometimes, and I've known many parents, many families that have adopted kids uh, that have had all kinds of traumatic things happen to them, even within the first months of, of their childhood. All kinds of broken arms, broken limbs, all kinds of abuses, uh, sexual abuse, uh, uh, all kinds of things, that, that w- even within the first months. Uh, or sometimes parents uh, will adopt a child a little bit later in life, and, and, and there's all kinds of things. There, there is uh, uh, infant alcohol what's it called infant fetal alcohol syndrome uh, where the parents were so alcoholic uh, especially the mother that uh, it affected the the child in the womb and they were born and and will probably live the entirety of their lives with all kinds of issues and there are parents that will say I want that kid I I choose that kid I adopt that kid I mean parents that will maybe foster a kid like that and go but I, I love them I'm going to adopt him. And for you to think about God loving you and God adopting you and God inviting you to be a part of his own family in that way, I mean, I I think that is, is that not just phenomenal that God adopted you? And not only you adopted, but you get the full rights of full inheritance, all of it. The inheritance that is reserved for the rest of the kids, you get the same inheritance. And and we will look at that along the way here and talk about inheritance, but the the great theme, the doctrinal theme of being adopted by God. You need to realize that when you trusted in Christ, there there were some some 50 things that took place in that transaction, in that moment when you gave your life to Christ, some, some 50 different transactions that took place, adoption being one of them. And, and wow, all that God has given us in salvation, all that God has given us in Christ. Uh, this is one of those passages you could come back to and read again. If, if you do not get tripped up over the... Uh, the election pieces, which I don't get tripped over, there are so much here that you could read this every day and go, wow, look at all that God has given to me. And to be so thrilled in, in this way, to be blessed by God, to be blessed by God, to be adopted as his son or as his daughter. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons, as his, as his daughters, as his children in accordance. And notice what it says, with his pleasure and his will. It wasn't like he adopted, and let me put that verse back up there so you can see it. I want to underscore this, in accordance with his pleasure and will. It isn't like God just said, well, okay, if I have to. This, this says that God adopted you with pleasure, that God willingly uh, adopted you. Whatever you think your 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 problems are, whatever you think the the things that that, that riddle your life uh, are, that you would realize that God said of you, "I adopt you. I choose you. It is my pleasure. It is my joy. It is my will to adopt you. Now, I had all kinds of warts in my life. I'm not talking like warts on my fingers or warts on my toes. I'm talking about the sinful warts of my life. And when I think of God stepping into the marketplace of sin and saying to to 
saying, I want that person. I want that Culbertson kid there. There's a couple Culbertson kids here listening or participating this morning, and I give a shout out to my to my niece. But anyway, um, when I think of him looking at me at age 15 and all the all the uh, the substances uh, and all the uh, sinfulness that were a part of my life, uh, I didn't deserve it, not at all. But God said, "It is my pleasure." to choose you. It is my pleasure to adopt you. It is my pleasure to call you my son. Wow. And, and maybe you were like me. I mean, some of you grew up in, in, in situations that maybe your, your moral life wasn't as decrepit as my moral life was, uh, but you were still sinful. The Bible tells us that all have sinned. Maybe you weren't as decrepit. Maybe you grew up in a church situation and said, my life was never like, like, Jim Culbertson's life was, and, and I don't have much of your testimony. Oh, yes, you do. You have the testimony that God chose you, that God adopted you, that God said, it is my pleasure to have you as my child. Well, adoption, a, a great theme that we see here in Ephesians chapter one, to be adopted by God, and not only to be adopted by God, but as it said he did it with pleasure. He did it willingly. And the net result of this in verse 6 is his adopting of us, his redemption of us, is to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So this brings us to another great doctrinal theme, the theme of grace. Now, I'm not going to unpack this as fully as it could be unpacked, but the theme of God being gracious with us as we read in verse 6, it is to his praise. Friend, your life, my life, our lives are to the praise of, of God's glorious grace. Uh, I am what I am by the grace of God. Uh, if, if, if I were left without the Holy Spirit, if I were left to my flesh, um, I can't even imagine wh where I would be. I can't even imagine what I would be doing. I, Frankly, I would probably be doing many of the things that the world is, is wanting great freedoms to do. Just being honest with you, that's where my flesh would likely take me. But his grace, his grace, God, the two words that are often placed side by side for consideration, one is the word mercy, the other is the, the word grace, and oftentimes we'll hear it delineated this way, mercy is God keeping us from getting what we deserve, and grace is God giving us all kinds of things that we don't deserve, that is grace. We did not deserve salvation. We did not deserve relationship with God. But in his grace, he has extended to us salvation. In his grace, he has extended to us relationship with God. In his grace, he has extended to us uh, the inheritance together with Christ. Uh, in his grace, he, he has told us that we, we will be free from sorrow, suffering, and pain in heaven. His grace, his grace has given us, his grace has given us this, this wonderful family of God. Grace. 
grace that, that allows us to have salvation. Friend, you, you cannot gain salvation on your own. It is a gift of God. It's a gift to be received. It's a gift to be taken. We, we, when we get to chapter 2, we will see that. If I were to go back to uh, Romans chapter 6, I could show you that, that it is a gift from God. Now, if I were to offer to you a $100 bill, or if I were to offer to you a whole stack of $100 bills, and uh, and you were to not take that if I'm if I were to hold it up to you and say this is yours, but you never took it out of my hand. It, it's a gift for you, but if you never take it, it will never do you any good. Salvation is the same way. God extends to us the gift of salvation, but unless you reach out and take hold of it by faith, it does you no good. You need to trust in Christ and His finished work and what He did on the cross. And, and we think about grace, it all does come to, to praise of his glorious grace. And it says in verse 6, it says his grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Reminds me of a song. And I'm not going to try to sing the song, but there is a song that has these words to it. Freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give Go his go in his name, and because you believe, others will know that he lives. And uh, you, you can look that one up. There's another thing you can write down and get done with the broadcast. Look that song up on YouTube and uh, and listen to it. I was going to put that. It's going to say put that in your pipe and smoke it. But no, put that in your soul and and and, and let it bless you freely. Freely you have received. Freely, freely give. He has freely given us his grace. Absolutely freely given us his grace. Wow. Uh, and, and you look at the words that Paul uses here. He doesn't just use grace. In verse 6, he says, to the praise of his glorious grace. To think of how glorious the grace of God is. Well, then we get down into another theme another all of these could be standalone and they are standalone in in the books of theology studies of theology uh, words that stand alone and have great import to them and, and lots of verses and lots of study and I'm I'm giving you the skinny on them verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood I'll stop there because the the next phrase goes further. Uh, and But then in verse 7, it, it ends up in accordance with the rich, riches of God's grace. This is God being gracious with us. In him we have redemption. Now, we live here, those of us that live in Maid, we might think the redemption center where you take your bottles in to exchange them to get your five cents per bottle back. It's the way it works here in Maine. You pay five cents when you buy a, a case of water per bottle. Uh, and then when you take those bottles in, you get five cents back. It's just, I don't know. It, it, it's the system that's here. I guess it works. Uh, so you might think of redemption in that way, the redemption center, which sometimes you, it isn't the place you think I'm going to run out to the redemption center and have a great day. Um, no, but redemption, uh, think of redemption stickers. Uh, think of, what, what were those, H&S stamps or something like that, redemption stamps. Uh, or or think of a voucher that you get that you can redeem for something. And uh, I redeemed a $400 voucher yesterday for a flight 
that I'm taking to Montana in uh, in late uh, late August. Four hundred dollar voucher to redeem that to to take hold of it to use it. But but here's God redeeming us. Or you, you could take the word redemption and boil it down, or or maybe. Uh, use a synonymous term like uh, purchase. In him we have been purchased through his blood, that idea of purchase. Now, I've shared this illustration before. Perhaps you've heard it. If you have, then uh, indulge me. And and if you haven't heard it before, then you can be instructed. Uh, When you go shopping in in the grocery store, you walk in, let's say you're going to buy some berries. Uh, that's, That's one that would be a uh, a theme that we'd all perhaps understand. You you pick up that like like that little that, that container that pint that quart of strawberries, and what do you do? You look at the top of it. You look at the bottom of it. You try to make sure there's no fuzzy white growth going on down there. You know it's not starting to rot. You're you're looking at the top, trying to look through it and make sure that it, these these look like it's a good a good selection of strawberries. Well. If you were to think about Jesus coming in and actually looking for the moldy ones, if you think of Jesus coming in and actually looking for the bruised ones, uh, if if you think of Jesus coming in and looking for the ones that have already begun to turn sour and him saying, I'll take it, I can, I can make something with that. That's exactly what Jesus did with us. He walked into the marketplace of sin to purchase us for God. And and we had white moldy stuff growing on us, and we had bruises in us, and and, and we may, may have begun to sour. Uh, uh, we may have begun to rot already. But Jesus said of us, I will make something wonderful out of that. And, and so redemption, I always think about that when I think of the word redemption, and I, I just kind of picture Jesus walking into Hannaford's and going going over to the berry section and picking up the berries and, and finding the worst one and saying, uh, I'll take something. It's kind of like digging through and finding one that maybe somehow got left on the bottom. They In the grocery store, they're supposed to. You know, and they, they bring out new stock, move the old stock to the front so it gets purchased first. But I imagine every once in a while it's possible that one gets left down there somewhere in the bottom and they find it and it's gone kind of bad. Well, to think of Jesus coming in and getting that which has gone kind of bad and making something beautiful. There's another song for you, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. Uh, he made something beautiful out of my life. Now, I... I left out some verses there. I, I would have to go get the hymnal to to sing them. But just the idea that God makes something beautiful out of your life. Redemption in him, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood. It took his blood to redeem us. He didn't, he didn't redeem us with a dime. He didn't redeem us with a quarter. He didn't redeem us with a dollar bill. He didn't redeem us with a a bar of gold. It took his blood to redeem us. He shed his blood. It should have been our blood being shed for the sins that we had committed, but he shed his blood in our stead so that we could be redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Oh, I should get the hymnal out. No, I won't. It's it's over there. I 
Yes, it's over there. I'm not going to go get it. Um, but redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Yes, to enjoy the redemption that we have through the blood of Christ, paying the sin price for you and I. So this great theme of redemption. I hope that hope that you you're excited already. I hope that you were blessed already. I hope that you are thrilled already with, with what we've looked at so far. And we've only gotten through um, just a few more verses. This is loaded right up. I you, you talk about like a loaded baked potato. Well, this is a loaded chapter in the Bible, loaded right up. I mean, it's it's got all the sour cream. It's got the butter. It, it, it has the chives. It, it has the broccoli. It has the bacon. Uh it's got the, the 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 creamy nacho cheese. It has it all. All of it is in this chapter. Uh, in him, it says, we have redemption through his blood, verse 7. And then you get to the next part. It isn't enough that he redeems us. He didn't redeem us and bring us home, stick us in the fridge, so we just continue to rot. No. It says this in verse 7. In him we have re- the redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And I just love how Paul does this. He doesn't just say, in accordance with God's grace. No, he, he heightens the, the, the sense of this, and he says, in accordance with the riches of his grace. And there's, there's other words. You go down to verse 8. It talks about lavished on us. God lavishes rich grace upon you and I, friend. Verse 7, it talks about we have the forgiveness of sins. Redemption brings forgiveness. God's forgiveness is unlike human forgiveness most often. God's forgiveness is a forgiveness that forgives and forgets. There are passages in the Bible that we can talk about, that we can consider. Uh, for instance, 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You go back to Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he has he removed our transgressions from us. In other words, when, when we confess our sins to God, God cleanses. God not only forgives, God cleanses. God forgives, God cleanses, God wipes the slate clean. Friends, live in the forgiveness of God today. The uh, condition in First John 1, 9 is if we confess our sins. So if we know our sins, if we confess our sins, God forgives us of our sins. Now, some people equate being forgiven of sin with salvation. They are not the same issue, friends. Salvation is something given by faith. Cleansing, you also receive by faith, by faith in, in confession, but, but sin is, if you sin, you do not lose your salvation. There are some people who think that, and that that means that your salvation is uh, it's completely dependent on you. But when you take the views of what we've looked at here in Ephesians 1 so far, we understand that our salvation depends on God. Yes, we sin. God still loves us. We're still God's child. God's waiting for us to say, Daddy, I'm sorry. I blew it again. 
But when we say that to him, he says, I forgive you and I cleanse you of all sin. So to think about this, to think about being adopted, uh, to think about God's glorious grace, which he has given us, to think about being redeemed, to think about being forgiven by God in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Do you feel like your heart will burst yet? I, I hope so. I mean, there is just... This 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 passage is just so much. Um, down in verse 8, we read these words that he lavished on us. What did he lavish? He lavished his grace on us with all wisdom and understanding. Lavished. To think of being something lavished on you. Um, you know, we, we've, we've done a couple cruises now and, uh, I, I enjoy cruises. In fact, uh, because my Mediterranean trip got canceled, uh, uh, the Turkey trip, I said, well, you know, we, we, we could always do a cruise. Then Wendy would maybe go with me because it wouldn't be quite as grueling as the, uh, as uh, Paul's missionary journeys that, that I was going to do in September. Uh, but we would be going to Thessalonica, to Ephesus, to Athens, to, to Crete, to some of those places that Paul had been. If we did a cruise like that, um, let me get to the point. Uh, you get in there and you get into the fine dining section. If you ever cruise, there's a fine dining section. You've already paid for that, but sometimes you feel like guilty for asking the server to to bring you something. I, I sat next to a man uh, and he ordered prime rib and somehow I missed prime rib on the menu. Didn't even see it. And I love prime rib. I ordered something else that was kind of akin to ham. It had some other fancy name, but basically it was ham. Uh, and, uh, he said, well, you can you can order this too. You can order both meals. They'll bring you as much as you want. It's been paid for. You paid for it. And, and it's, you know, it's their joy to serve you. Uh, sometimes we go around in our Christian life acting like we don't deserve it. Well, it's been paid for. Christ paid for it for you. And he wants us to enjoy it. Uh it's already paid for. So it's like that, that server that comes out and they're all dressed up in the tuxedo and whatnot. And they're serving you and pouring you coffee or pouring you whatever whatever your beverage is that you're drinking. They're, they're giving it to you and bringing your meal and taking your plates and doing all those things. Um, it was included in the price. You wouldn't think, oh, I don't deserve this. Friends, it's included in the price. There's so much that is included in the price that Jesus paid for us that we we don't take advantage of. And he's like, why? I did this for you. Take advantage of this. Enjoy all that I have done for you. In that way, we we, we glory in Christ. In that way, we, 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 we uh, just kind of frolic in Jesus, in all that he has done for us to, to, to lean into that and to not feel dejected because he, is, he has done it for you with his pleasure and with his will. Well, verse 9, I, I want to come back around and, and there, there are some comments. I, I should come around and look at the comments and see what is said here. If we sin, we, we do have to suffer the consequences of sin. Oftentimes, yes, just like uh, David uh, when he when he sinned, but he suffered the consequences uh, of his sins with Bathsheba, someone making that comment. Hey, yes, I mean, often, but not always. 
I, I, I think sometimes God spares us the consequences of our sins. I mean, if we got the immediately the consequences of our sins that, that should be coming to us for the things that we did, uh, then, uh, you know, there'd be a lot more consequences. I, sometimes God knows we need to experience the consequence of our sin uh, to chide us, to correct us, to help us realize don't do that again. Or, But I, I do think... Uh, I. I mean, to to the question, uh, I, I don't know that we always suffer the consequences of sin. At least that has not been my experience to always suffer the consequences. Um, but there are times, I think, when Father knows, you know, I, yeah, I'm forgiven you, but you, you kind of need to suffer for this a little bit because it's a teaching it, it, it isn't uh, it isn't taking away our salvation. Uh, but it is meant to help us grow, uh, to grow in godliness, to grow in holiness, to grow in righteousness, to grow in character. If I hope that makes sense to to kind of what is being asked there, I, because I I see that I, I see Jesus bearing the consequence. I mean, part of him bearing the bearing the wrath is the consequence. Uh, and someone else commenting here: my suffering is within my consciousness. Guilt, if you will, God is not punish is not a punishing God in my view. I mean, God will punish. Uh, there is, uh, especially those who do not turn, those who do not repent. There is an aspect of punishment that comes that speaks of the wrath of God to come, uh, and it does tell us in the book of Hebrews, the tenth chapter, that God disciplines those whom He loves. Well, God must know I'm a whip because I, I don't feel like God is always disciplining me. Maybe it's because I tend to be more uh, quick to to acknowledge my sins. Um, I don't feel that God is always bringing punishment. Sometimes, though, punishment is delayed. Uh, we need to be punished or disciplined. It's like our kids. We love our kids, and so sometimes we've had to discipline our kids for their own good. So there, there is. Uh, I, I have agreement that, that God is not necessarily a punishing God. Uh, true. Uh, Hebrews ten does speak about God being. You know, it's not Hebrews ten. It's Hebrews twelve. I'm pretty sure it's Hebrews ten. Uh, does speak about God being a. A, a, a father who sometimes disciplines his children. Sometimes we just need discipline, and God has to do that. Uh, and uh, but uh, in my experience, that is more infrequent than frequent. Uh, God is f- far more gracious, far more willing to forgive, and uh, uh, and I often don't have to suffer the consequences of my own sinfulness. Well, let's come back into the text. Um. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put in effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. Now, this is a great theme of consummation, that God will consume all things, that God will bring the the entire completion uh, of his sovereign will uh, and the restoration of all things God will bring at his appointed time. It says in verse 10, to be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Uh, Some would say this points to the millennial kingdom. 
Some would say, well, we will experience this apart from millennial kingdom. This will happen someday. Uh, I tend to be the person that doesn't think uh, theologically, uh, eschatologically, that's a big word for end times, uh, that we're going to experience this until at least the millennial uh, kingdom of Christ that will come after the tribulation. That is my own personal uh, theological understanding of that. Uh, but the mystery of his will, the mystery of his will, the mystery was bound up in Christ, uh, the mystery of salvation through faith, the, the mystery of the workings of the spirit, the, the, the mystery of, of election and, and the mysteries of redemption and what is now revealed in Christ. He, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, and this will be put in effect. I mean, so you ever ask yourself, well, why didn't God just... Why didn't God just take me out of here? Uh, why do I still have to face suffering? Why do I still have to face the problems that I have to face? Uh, why do we still have to face illness? Why, why, why? You know, and and uh, because things haven't been put into effect. Global warming. Let's talk about that for a moment. I mean, Romans eight says the earth groans, waiting for the for the fulfillment for the for the ultimate. Uh, bringing together for the ultimate consummation. Romans 8 tells us that the earth, in fact, yes, it does groan, waiting for that time to come. Verse 10 said to us this, this great theme of consummation, it will happen. What will be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ, there will not be this 50-50 split Republican, Democrat, I'm just going to use those political terms. And then then there are lots of other ideological terms we could use. No, uh, he is going to put all this into effect at its appointed time, and God alone knows what that appointed time is. Uh, verse 11, we've already kind of covered verse 11 before. In him we were also chosen, have been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with his will. So here, here this, these words of being chosen, having been predestined, we dealt with those yesterday and the day before, but those are great themes as well. The, the, the theme of, of election or predestination, I mean, great theological terms to dig into. Now, you, you may choose to get some theological books, and I encourage you, don't just use Google. There, there are some good things there, but you, you might look up some Wayne Grudem books, uh, and get books by Wayne Grudem or, or others um, who could explain to you. Uh, you could read Calvin if you want to. Uh, there's lots that you can dig into and study and study to begin to understand more fully uh, the concepts of election and predestination. But it says this in verse 11. I want to get to this part. Who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will? God will work everything in the conformity to his will. He's just going to make it happen. It's all going to conform. This is where sovereignty comes into play. When God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. Now, there are things that maybe some some of the discussion could go, well, are there things that God isn't worrying about that are just kind of happening freely? I mean, some say absolutely everything is under the sovereign uh, direction of God. Others would say everything is under the sovereign allowance of God. God directs the things that he wants to direct, and he allows the things that he wants to allow. That, that is how some would perhaps understand sovereignty. 
and, and what God does. But the thing I can tell you unequivocally, absolutely, because Scripture says it, is that the things that God wants to have happen will absolutely happen. The things that God wants to work out, he is going to work out, and nothing can thwart that, nothing can stop that. It says it here in verse 11, in him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything out in the conformity with the purpose of his will. And then it says this in verse 12, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Friends, uh, you know, we were the first to hope in Christ. Now, he's maybe talking about the Jewish people, but but I, let's just say this. If you t- or take out first to hope in Christ and say this, in order that we who hope in Christ, first could be first century, first could be the Jews and then the Gentiles, um, apart from the word first, we who hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory, uh, that, that our lives would be for the praise of the glory of God, that, that that in our business we would live for the glory of God, in our recreation we would live for the glory of God, in our marriages we would live for the glory of God, in our parenting we live for the glory of God, in our church we live for the glory of God, in, in government service we live for the glory of God. Uh, in, in working as an employee, we'd live for the glory of God, that we would do all things for the glory of God. We might be for the praise of his glory. I would have you say this, Lord, help me glorify you today. There you go. Lord, help me glorify you today. And there's another little song that comes to mind. Today must be, uh, that, 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 that must have come up in the files today here in my hard drive. Um, In my life, Lord, be glorified. In my life, Lord, be glorified. In my life, Lord, be glorified today that we would be for the praise of his glory. Now, there is one more theme that I need to get to here because we're running out of time. Let me get there. Verse 13, in him you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. So you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You heard it. And then verse 13 says, having believed the necessity of faith to gain the salvation, you hear the word of God. Uh, you hear the truth of God. You hear the gospel of God, the, the gospel of salvation by faith in Christ, and you believe that gospel. Here is this great grand truth. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This is called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the theme, the doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he indwells you permanently. He will not leave you. He is always there. Yes, you can quench him. Yes, you can grieve him, but he is always there. He ain't going nowhere. He is there. Uh, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Again, here's this phrase, to the praise of his glory. Sealed. Uh, It's kind of like... um, I'll give you an example. Oftentimes, uh, a you, you have to go to a notary to have something uh, stamped. They have like a paper stamp that 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 isn't only uh, ink that goes on the page, but oftentimes it's something that, that actually kind of crinkles the paper. Uh, 
seal that that's what is being talked about something that you know it'd be really hard to get that out sealed with permanent ink uh, oftentimes that you, you think of the seal of wax that they would use uh, you know the, in, in the old days they would close seal a letter with with a, a drop of hot wax on it and that's how they'd seal it closed uh, that comes into mind the other idea of a seal is a signet ring that in those days when, when the king uh, uh, pressed his signet ring as, as his signature into the wax or or into the paper, the ink, whatever they were using, and, and placed his seal, it was irrevocable. And, and that is the, that is the uh, uh, imagery that Paul is using here is that type of permanence. You have been given permanently the Holy Spirit. Now, now this gives us an, a sense of assurance for our salvation, that, that the Holy Spirit is not going anywhere. We have the Holy Spirit. He is guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. He is a guarantee. You know, we live in a day where guarantees are only as good as the paper that they're put on. Well, it used to be a, a day and time when a guarantee was a guarantee, and if it was guaranteed, it, it, it meant if it went bad, you're going to get your money back, or you're going to get a replacement, or you're going to get... The guarantee is absolute, friends. You have salvation. You have the Holy Spirit pressed upon you. Now, I know there are people who, who believe, that Arminians would believe, no, the Holy Spirit comes and goes from your life. There are many of us who, who take passages like this to mean the Holy Spirit is there. He is permanent. He is not leaving the life of the believer. Yes, you can quench him. Yes, you can grieve him. I said that a minute and 30 seconds ago. But he is not going anywhere. He is guaranteeing our inheritance. So even there's another theme, the theme of the inheritance of the believer. Uh, all that we get to be joint heirs with Jesus together in this, this great inheritance. You know, um, sometimes we think of that that rich uncle or rich aunt or, or you know, a rich relative or something, and we're in their will, and, and you know, there's a guarantee, and you're going to get this inheritance. And, you know, in, in humanity, wills can be changed like that. And you see families in the squabble. Well, somebody got, a parent got upset with a child. You know what? I'm just going to take you out of the will. They change them. Uh, you know what? God's will is a will that will not change. God's will will be uh, fulfilled. And uh, God's, the inheritance that he gives to us, he guarantees through the work of Christ uh, as sealed in us by the Holy Spirit, this great theme of the indwelling spirit who was there. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is always there. Well, friends, if, if your little socks have not been blessed off today, I don't know what it would take to bless your socks off today. I just do not know. Breakfast in bed, maybe. I don't know. But but if this doesn't do it, I don't know what will. This, this section of Ephesians as I said, is absolutely loaded. This is this is better than Tracy's kitchen sink. If you know what that is, that, that is the five-egg omelet with everything in it at Tracy's Diner down in Belfast. This is better than that, absolutely better, all that we've been given in Christ. And, and I hope that it has inspired you. I hope it's encouraged you. I hope that it has... Uh, made you just say, I want to live for God today. I want to live for Jesus today because of all that he has given to you. Well, there's much to always pray about, uh, and I just encourage you, 
Uh, we, we, we have so many people that we need to pray for salvation. Uh, being mentioned here, pray for salvation for for a dad that's having surgery this week. Uh, pray for a salvation that uh, uh, of a of a young man in a marriage that not totally sure if man is saved. Uh, pray for um, pray for those that are, are walking the valley of the shadow of death, uh, and uh, there are those that are walking that, that valley right now. Pray for not only the individual walking that valley, but those walking the valley with them that will walk them to up to the gate. Uh, they will not enter the gate. They will walk that loved one to the gate. We pray for those people today. Uh, pray. I, I got some pictures from our dear brother, Pastor Benny. Over 300 children in their vacation Bible school over in Ephrata this week. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, Ephrata Baptist Church in Romania. Praise God for that. Um, pray for, for continued salvations of kids. We pray for those things. We make all these our prayers. Lord, hear our prayer about all these things. Those that need comfort, Lord, we pray bring comfort. Those that need salvation, draw them to yourself. Those that need direction, give direction. Those that need provision, Lord, we pray for your provision. Lord, we pray rejoicing in what you're doing at uh, Nefrata Baptist Church uh, over in Romania. We praise you. Uh, and Lord, we, we pray again today that you would end the war that is taking place in Ukraine. That is our human desire. We, we see the suffering. We pray that you would bring comfort to those that uh, are in anguish as a result of this war. Lord, end the war. Lord, in all these things today, we ask it in Jesus' name, and we say, Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Well, friends, that's a wrap for today. I want to encourage you to have a great day today, and we will pick up in Ephesians chapter 1 tomorrow. Have a good day, everyone.